Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of GBB Live. I'm your host, Parker Fleming, and it's it's draft season. Uh, June is officially kicked off, and uh, we're about three weeks away from the NBA draft, and the Memphis Grizzlies have not one but two first-round picks, the 22nd from the Utah Jazz and the 29th pick in the first round. So it, it should be a lot of fun. It's definitely one of the uh, coolest drafts to cover just the amount of variance that's been out there thus far um, a lot of cool talents and really for a Grizzlies team that they don't really have a whole lot of needs they can kind of just go out to the best talent available and still have a slot so it should be a lot of fun to cover obviously over Grizzly Bear Blues we're going to have draft profiles coming out we're going to have two a day every weekday for the next two three weeks so you don't want to miss out it's definitely going to be uh, jam-packed so Get ready for it. But before um, I introduce my guest, uh, let me let you know how to get in touch with the podcast in the blog. So GBB Live is the flagship podcast for SB Nation's Grizzly Bear Blues on the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network alongside the 3 d Podcast and the Starting 5 Podcast. So be sure to check that out wherever you get your podcast: Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcast. And Grizzly Bear Blues is a blog under SB Nation. You can find it on the web at grizzlybearblues.com or on Twitter at SBN Grizzlies. Once again, I'm your host, Parker Fleming, and I'm joined by one of my favorite people to talk about the draft with. Probably one, he's probably on the Mount Rushmore of um, draft Twitter. He's great draft mind. Um, he is a host for the Locked On NBA Big Board podcast of the Locked On Sports Network. Uh, he goes on Twitter as Mavs Draft. It's Richard Stamen. Richard, how are you doing this evening, sir? Hey, I'm doing well. I'm happy to be back. I think I was on here, what, last year? I think you've been on the uh, past, not, like, two years, yeah. Yeah, keeping the streak alive. It's year three. I'm, I'm entering almost – I'm almost in my contract here of, uh, of my first year with the Grizzly Bear Blues as a, as a guest annually. But I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. I know it's probably going to get tough here soon. I mean, we just saw where uh, ESPN's Mike Schmitz just got an assistant GM job with the Portland Trailblazers. So, Rich, so you, 
you may be following along that path. You could be replacing Mike over at ESPN, and it's going to be harder to get you on this podcast. So you never know. So it, that was a really cool moment in draft Twitter, by the way. Just before we start, just I guess what does that mean to you? Because you're somebody who specializes in the draft. And you've seen somebody like Mike kind of rise up in the ranks, you know, through Draft Express and an ESPN acquired Draft Express uh, with him and Jonathan Javoni. And now taking an assistant GM job for the Portland Trailblazers, a, a team with a lot of really fascinating decisions centered around, you know, a superstar like Damian Lillard, all this cap space, number seven pick. But just what does that mean to you as somebody that really puts a lot of des- dedication to this craft of covering the draft? Yeah, you know, uh, it, it definitely it definitely shows anything's possible. Um, kind of puts a new meaning, I guess, to like Mike with uh, once thought it was for Michael Jordan, but now Mike, Mike Schmitz is kind of the idol for, uh, for draft Twitter. You know, a lot of us do this for fun. Some people are doing it to get a job and it has happened. Uh, Mike, obviously not the first one, but he is the first person to get that high up of a job from just kind of covering the draft on the outside. So it's really interesting. I, I, I think it is a model almost for what most of us want to get towards. So it, and it means it's achievable as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, I, you mentioned that there are people that have climbed up those ranks to join an, an organization, whether that's Cole Switker or uh, Ross Holman, uh, Holman. Like there, there's been a lot of really good and smart draft minds who have gone on to Reach an organization, Mitch. I, I or Rich. I think you're you're on the way. I really do think you're on the way. You do great stuff. But let, let's dive in. So obviously the Grizzlies, two first round picks, and obviously there's so much, so many possibilities for the Grizzlies, not just with fit, but in just how they could approach the draft. So you know the Athletics, John Hollinger came out and said the 47th pick, which we're not talking about uh, tonight. Uh, will likely be on a two-way contract, if not um, a player that's already overseas. It will be stashed there. So that player probably won't be much of a factor into next season's roster. But with two uh, first-round picks, it's interesting. I mean, I'm under the belief they probably shouldn't have two rookies on the roster as operating as a contender. But, you know, they can trade up. I mean, they can keep they can keep one and not the other. There's so many different possibilities. Rich, where do you see the Grizzlies um, in that role, do you think that it could very well be just, you know, they're, they're at 22 and 29, or do you think they're probably pulling for a move up into the draft, which they have done in the past three drafts since uh, Zach Kleiman has taken over? Where do you see the Grizzlies kind of um, in the mix here um, three weeks out from the draft? Yeah, I can't see them using all three picks. They also have that second rounder from Cleveland. I just you look at teams that generally the good teams, especially they don't use most like every pick. There's a reason there's so many trades, especially in the set, like once you had pick 20 and the Grizzlies have three picks, all of them past pick 20. So I think there's a good chance they either consolidate uh, whether it's 29 and 47 moving up a spot and then flipping 2020 or excuse me, number 22 for like a 2023, something like that. Um, but ultimately, I think the most realistic path is I would trade all three just to get one pick, whether it's I don't know what that amounts to. I, I'm not going to speculate like I'm good at trades, uh, but I think, you know, you can get close to the lottery, at least with that package. And I think that's probably their best route. Take one quality player over three 
okay players. For sure. And I, I had always said in uh, these uh, prospect profiles or any other offseason previews for uh, GBB that I'm not going to speculate any more trades until some more tea leaves comes out on any rumors and who's available. Obviously, Jake Fisher, I believe, to report, reported that uh, the New York Knicks are looking to shed the salaries of New uh, Nerlens Noel and Alec Burks, but that might come at the price of the 11th pick. Zach Klein has shown a willingness to take on unwanted money, so that's an option there. There's Charlotte, there's Atlanta, there's Chicago. So many different teams that are probably looking to, looking to open up cap space, especially with the restricted free agency of Miles Bridges and a DeAndre Ayton and also the unrestricted free agency of the, um, I guess, available now, uh, Zach Levine. So definitely a lot, of, a lot of moves there that the Grizzlies can make. And I really want to get just dive in with this draft talk with uh, the question of the day from GBB Live. Thank you to the 71 accounts that have voted on this answer. I had said, which player archetype should the Grizzlies target in the 2022 draft? Coming in at number one is big wing and forward at 45%. Uh, I voted combo guard and wing or wing. Uh, now it's 28%. I'll elaborate more on that in a bit. Uh, center and pure five at 14%. And then backup point guard, surprisingly, the last one at uh, shade under 13%. So, Richard, where which one did you vote for? And I guess what kind of led you to that, to that decision? Uh, I, I went with the wing route. I talked to somebody who I, I believe is a friend of the show, Sean Coleman mm-hmm. of, uh, of Locked on Grizzlies. And I talked to him about some of the needs a little bit ago, what Memphis needs. And I, I really do think that, you know, especially Dylan Brooks, who knows what his fate in Memphis is. I think a wing really could be a possibility. Yes, they just drafted one last year, but somebody who could be a little bit more versatile in the way they rebound and things like that. And ball also doing some of the overlapping skills of Zaire Williams. I think something like that is an entirely possible thing. Uh, someone who comes to mind, for example, Marjan Bochamp from the G League Ignite, who falls into the range of both where the Grizzlies could be picking if they trade up and at 22 where they currently are picking. Yeah, no, that's actually a, a really good option. I know we actually have a, a prospect profile coming on him tomorrow from our G League expert assistant to the site manager, Brandon Abraham. Uh, he's been mocked to the Grizzlies from um, Kevin O'Connor's mock draft with the Ringer and also in uh, Jonathan Javoni's most recent mock draft. He came in at 29 for Memphis, which I, I think if if they end up getting Bochamp at 29, I think they also had Jaden Hardy at 22. I mean, that that's a home run draft right there. So with that archetype of, you know, a big wing forward that's versatile, because, I mean, Bochamp, probably can stretch between positions two through four. Um, so with like guys like Bochamp, and we also wrote, I wrote about uh, Tari Eason and Jeremy Sohan um, as potential trade-up guys. Do you see that as a potential option if the Grizzlies do try to move up? Because uh, Kyle Anderson's entering free agency, and there's going to be a little bit of a competition there for that back of forward spot, whether that's a, a draftee, uh, Santi Aldama, Xavier Tillman, uh, any sort of free agent acquisition they make. Like, do you do you think that if the Grizzlies do make a trade up into the draft, that guys like Eason or uh, Sohan are definitely guys that could be on their radar? I think Sohan a lot more than Tari Eason. Just looking at how opposite their perceived basketball IQs are, where 
Eason has the reputation of the, you know, he has a lot to improve on that end. And Jeremy Sohan is one of the sharpest basketball players, just both in terms of defensive skill and his just complete understanding of the game. And that, that fits the Memphis bill, I think a little bit more, they probably have to move into the top 11, I would say to get him. But mm-hmm. I think that somebody like Jeremy Sohan is, is who they would target. However, Tari Eason is somebody who I wouldn't be shocked to see fall into 22. So they may not even have to give up an asset to get him. Right. And I, I know you reported that or not reported. It was your bold prediction. Like what, what has kind of led you to that? Is it just one of those, it's something that the Grizzlies have been off of, benefited off of. It's it the older player stigma where you have guys like Malachi Bronham or I guess now uh, Dalen Terry from Arizona who uh, Jonathan Giovanni reported that could very well end up in the lottery and he's now staying instead of going back to Arizona. Like, do you do you see that just like some of these younger players that are more of these, um, no pun intended, lottery tickets as uh, just being favored more than Eason? Or do you think that Eason's just not as advertised from his season at LSU? Where, where do you kind of fall on that? Yeah, I, I think it's a combination of both. <clears throat> you bring up a good point about guys like Dale and Terry. Those guys are going to unseat the common, you know, like the mock drafts where it's like, all right, this person that is going here, like it seems very straightforward, but a lot of, there's always a surprise in the lottery. So it's that. Plus I've heard he's been struggling at some workouts. I know there was a, a team, I, I can't say which, but there was a team that's picking in the late teens that he worked out for and was, he was the only first round prospect, really the only draftable prospect probably. And was one of the worst players in the workout. His basketball IQ, his motor were really questioned from that workout. So I wouldn't be shocked if his basketball IQ and the feel for the game and those questions hold him back on draft night. I totally understand. And I I get with a team like Memphis, and this is something I wrote about in my profile on him is I wonder because he had, for, I think his assisted turnover was 0.5, which for every assist, he had two turnovers. I was wondering, you know, is it just a product of high usage, maybe too much usage for him, or is it a lack of feel? And I think that's going to be the biggest question for him, especially, you know, if he goes to a team at the Grizzlies in this role, he's projected to be, what, the 10th man off the bench. If you're thinking, you know, assuming no, not a lot of moves, you have, you have jaw. Bain, Brooks, Jaron, Adams, Brandon Clark, um, Tyus Jones, maybe if you bring him back, DeAnthony Melton, Zaire Williams, and Antari Eason. So, like, he's low on the pecking order, so maybe, like, those those responsibilities kind of being lifted off him could help, but who who knows? That that's, It's definitely interesting because there's just so much variance where, you know, you have a guy that he can – definitely flirt with the top 10 but you can also look up on draft night and it's like wait this dude's available at 25 like what's going on you know yeah and and it's one of those things a lot of people could just be overthinking him like teams may have just had unrealistic expectations or something and yeah and like you said the the turnover to assist ratio was weird the another big thing i haven't heard about this in workouts but i do know from people who just watch a lot of film the left hand is also a big worry as well Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I want to ask you about another another big wing, big forward guy that I know you've been high on um, for the entire draft cycle. And I he's actually weirdly uh, a favorite in uh, Grizzlies Twitter 
And it surprises me because we don't have as much access to watch this game. And that's Nikola Jovic. Not to get confused for uh, my listeners that aren't really uh, draft-minded or anything. Not to get confused with Nikola Jokic, but Nikola Jovic. Uh, he's a 6'10 wing. Um, has a lot of perimeter, uh, perimeter games to his uh, skill set. Uh, can shoot off the dribble. Can play make a little bit. I know Rich has been high on him for a while. I know you... I, from what I've seen on your big boards, you've kind of cooled off on him a little bit. What, but what do you think of his fit, his upside, his skill set uh, going into this draft cycle? Yeah, I loved him in the summer. In the FIBA U19s, I, I think he had a really strong case of being the third best player in that tournament. There was Chet Holmgren and Victor Wembanyama. Obviously, they might be the back-to-back number one pick. So, like, mm-hmm. being right behind them, very good company. He's a 6'11 creator, doesn't do much of scoring at the rim, doesn't defend at all but he can create his own shot from three and he can run pick and rolls. And at that size, it's really unique and valuable. So my issue with him recently with him dropping is one, you know, what if the three point shot doesn't translate or the creation doesn't translate? What if there's some issues there, but even more importantly, I've just heard some interesting things about him since he came over to the States, uh, really loving the United States uh, lifestyle. I know he missed a, a, not a draft workout or something, but just a workout that he had scheduled with like his trainers and such on one of his first days. So I don't know, that, that kind of stuff is alarming. I'm not holding it too much, but my issue is, is like, what is that upside is originally I had said, all he needs to do is translate to those pros that creation on the perimeter at six eleven, And he's a really good player could be a star, but that may not be true because if you can't score at the rim, you're kind of in trouble in the NBA. Especially at that size. And I mean, granted, for, for the Grizzlies, that responsibility, you know, for him scoring at the rim, it's lobs, transition plays, attacking closeouts, not really much of anything. But obviously, you know, people will kind of uh, salivate at the idea of adding, adding this, like, perimeter-oriented 6'11 guy who can create his own shot. I mean, I, I guess I guess what you would say is his peak outcome would be would almost be like a prime Dillian Gallinari, which – you said like in his in his prime like that's a borderline all-star and that's a that's a big get for anybody in the draft whether that's a trade up into the top 20 or into that uh 21 through 30 range so i mean i'd be for it i definitely would be for it but obviously that those those concerns uh could definitely scare us team off especially as i guess my big thing when it comes to evaluating the draft in the grizzlies is I don't want any anybody on the floor that's a worse defender than John Morant because you really need to build a formal defense around John Morant and having to account for any more defensive liabilities could be troubling for the defense. It could just really fall apart. Yeah, and that's that's exactly it. Like you have to surround the, him with the right defense and certain lineups like you I, I just don't know what overlap you can have like for example can you play him and jaw in the same lineup is a really a good argument the answer is no right so that's that's what scares me off of him for sure no i i totally get that and i do want to get your input on on this and it was this was my preference my answer is i voted for a combo garden wing like kind of you know somebody that he can handle the ball in doses, you know, kind of not in the full-blown sense that he's like a pure backup point guard or anything. Uh, because, I mean, we've seen the Grizzlies 
kind of whenever Ja was out, they had Tyus Jones starting, and then off the bench, they just rotated. You know, sometimes it was Desmond Bain handling facilitation opportunities. It was Kyle Anderson, Dylan Brooks, DeAnthony Melton, kind of that rotation a little bit. I, I kind of, especially with how things are trending right now for the Grizzlies into this offseason, obviously Tyus, uh, Tyus Jones' free agency looms large. But I, I think probably one of the ways it can upgrade is upgrading that combo guard spot off the bench because, I mean, the Anthony Melton, he's a major plus in the regular season, but he's just kind of disappeared in postseason play for the past three years. I wouldn't mind getting a younger option in there with a little more creation upside. And I don't know, I guess this, and this is something that uh, was written on ESPN today. I guess it's like a little bit of the Jordan Poole bias because, I mean, we've seen how a player like Jordan Poole off the bench can just like electrify the offense and kind of add like another jolt. I mean, he he's one of the big reasons why the Warriors have kind of just taken off and become, or taken off once again to become uh, the finals representative out in the Western conference. Uh, you Do you feel like there is much of a need for a guy like that for the Grizzlies? I mean, cause you know, Ja. He's averaging 25, 26 points a game. You have Desmond Bain coming into his own score. You had that Dylan Brooks question mark. Obviously, you want more touches for Jaron Jackson Jr. Like, is there room for another creator that needs to um, have a higher usage to be effective? Well, I don't think you can ever have enough creators. I think you kind of hinted at it. You know, Melton in the playoffs, for example, his play just comes down. I think you need as many creators as possible. And obviously being a Mavs person, like I saw Luka Doncic, Spencer Dinwiddie and Jalen Brunson. I don't think they go nearly as far if you take any one of those away, not just because like obviously the drop off, but that creation ability matters, especially come playoffs. So if, you, if everybody on the floor could create at, you know, at any level at any point, I think you flirt with one of the best offenses in the league. That's why the Golden State lineups back in the day, even now, they're so lethal. So I don't think you can have enough creators personally. Right, and obviously there there are some names that have popped up in mock drafts. Um, that would be awesome for that billing. Uh, I know Jaden Hardy was another one in ESPN. One of my favorites recently, and I know he's been mocked here and there, whether that was the ESPN or the Athletic, was Bryce McGowan's from uh, Nebraska. Do you see either one of those fitting? Are there any sort of concerns that you see where that might not be the right selection for the Grizzlies? Uh, what do you what do you see with those two guys in particular? Yeah, I, I love Bryce McGowan's upside. He's a guy who you get nothing year one, I don't really think. Uh, I mean, I said that about Zyre Williams, and actually they got a good amount out of him year one. But mm-hmm. I wouldn't – I would be shocked if he's as good as Zaire was year one because Zaire had that solidified role. Bryce McGowan's is a six seven creator with great shooting form, really good frame. His ball handling is nice. He's a great athlete with a – an explosive first step has deep range on his jumper. This thing is he just needs to be a better decision maker and just more consistent because he didn't make enough shots, but he's raw. If you're willing to invest in a star upside player, it's him. And, and who was the other person you had said? I, I drew a Jaden Hardy down that. and Jaden Hardy. Yes. Jaden Hardy. I'm much less on much less. I don't even know the word, but I just, I'm much less of a believer. Um, for me, he has a lot of the traits of Cam Thomas, but in the worst way. I think he's a better playmaker. However, I think the the separation ability is really weak compared to Cam Thomas. And overall, I just don't trust his jump shot as much. 
think Cam Thomas was painted as this terrible player who, you know, he won't be able to do what he did in, at LSU in the NBA. He could. I kind of think those criticisms actually apply a lot more to Hardy. Yeah, and Hardy's another guy whose stock kind of fluctuates depending on who you're talking to. You know, there's guys that have him as a lottery prospect. I think Adam Spinella from uh, the Boxing One, great. By the way, if you're trying to play catch-up on draft stuff, I definitely highly recommend his film breakdowns on YouTube. Just really awesome stuff that kind of helps you kind of capture a big picture on a prospect. But anyways, he has him at like six. I was listening to uh, the Game Theory podcast with Sam Sam Pacini. I think he had him at like six. Um, But there's some people, like I know uh, Jonathan Wasserman from Bleach Report just dropped a big board that had him in the second round. So again, there's a lot of variants, but I I definitely see because, you know, you have the – oh, here's this big big guard that can create his own shot, create at three levels, has deep range. But also there's somewhere it's like his decision-making, the separation, will he be able – I guess probably the biggest thing for a lot of these players, especially like a guy like McGowan's who had the ball in his hands in Nebraska, or uh, Jaden Hardy who's just kind of been enabled to be this gunner of sorts his entire career. Can they adjust to the roles that they're going to be playing, especially for a team that's going to be picking – in the late first round that that's kind of the big question that many will have, especially for the ones like the Memphis Grizzlies, where they're going to have all the time they need to just kind of figure things out. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, this is where there's so much variance, not only on the media side, but I think it actually accurately portrays what the NBA side does too, because I think if you ask any two scouts, even within the same team, you're going to get a lot of different results on, past like the top 10 guys, they're going to get some variants. There are unpopular opinions that if you put it on Twitter, it would sound atrocious and you would get absolutely ratioed. Mm-hmm. But there, there are real things that teams put out there. Like I, I'm trying to think of like a real example, but just a top guy who they think sucks. And because you know why? Because top guys, and sometimes they suck. There's a lot of times, actually every time, there's been no top 10 draft in a draft ever where every single player is hit. And that's why they're like, hey, we shouldn't draft this guy. And that's how the teams know who not to get. So I think it actually very accurately that that disconnect in the media, I think accurately portrays what's happening in front offices. The guys who everybody agrees on, probably same thing in the front office as well. Yeah, for sure. And that that variance on draft night, I, I think it's going to be one of the, one of the most wild ones we've seen in a minute, probably since the 2013 draft, whether that's in the top four, who, you know, I'm talking to people today as we're trying to put our consensus big board together. It's like, shoot, I don't know how I want to rank the top four because not only is there stuff that you like and prefer with guys like Ivy, Paolo, Chet, and Jabari Smith, but there's also those drawbacks where you're like, man, I don't know who I want to put at number one because there are these like, there's just these no clear cut, very little weakness prospects out there at all. And it definitely makes it fun, but also just again shows that the draft is not a perfect science. Nobody's going to master this stuff. Yeah, not even Sam Presti or whoever you want to consider the king of drafting can do this. So I, I think a lot of people are going to be surprised. There's going to be, I don't think there's like an Anthony Bennett move. But you look at like 2019 where there was a lot of just random picks, right? Like nobody expected Kevin Porter Jr. to fall to 30. That was insane. Nobody expected Brandon Clark to fall to 20. Uh, 
Goga Batadze going to 18 was kind of a surprise. Chumo Kiki at 16 was a huge surprise. Weird stuff happens. It wouldn't shock me if we see it as early as like eight. I mean, even last year, God, Giddy at six. That was a stunning. Oh, yeah. Well, really, the first stunner was that Barnes at four, even though it probably shouldn't have come across much of a stunner to all of us. That Barnes at four over Suggs, where it's like, oh, man, they're losing Lowry. Suggs is right there, a perfect fit. And then they go Barnes. Obviously, wins rookie of the year, it all works out perfect. They make the playoffs. Great stuff. But, yeah, it's just definitely going to be wild there. And just trying to uh, reel it back in, grid-centric, real quick. And um, one, one thing that I guess – now that we have uh, three drafts of data with Zach Kleiman's front office, and he, he kind of threw us for a curveball there last year, Rich, you know, with, uh, with Brandon Clark uh, in the uh, 2019 draft. And in 2020 draft, he got Desmond Bain, uh, Xavier Tilbin, And in the two-way guys, he's gotten John Conchar and Eve Ponds, Killian Tilly. It's just like, okay, he's going to prioritize um, – insanely productive college players who are going to be lower on draft boards for whatever silly reason, whether it's wingspan, size, age, whatever. He's going to prioritize skill, feel, and character. And obviously that's paid off to where the Grizzlies are way ahead of schedule. And you've gotten these playoff contributions from guys like Desmond Bain and Brandon Clark and Xavier Tillman. And then also last year, they kind of threw us for a curveball and, picked a uh, raw prospect with high upside like uh, Xavier Williams, who has turned out to be better quicker than a lot, a lot of people could have ever imagined. And then also they picked Santi Aldama, who kind of falls like right in the middle. He's raw, still needs work, but also he has his background of productivity. With all that being said, what route do you think the Grizzlies should go down going into uh, this draft? Do they go back to that older, highly productive college player, or should they go with more of a raw prospect that needs some more, uh, like that just needs time to let his upside be realized? And if so, like, who, like, who would you say they should probably target in that instance? Yeah, I'd start with just who's the best value, regardless of age. If it's an eighteen-year-old, if it's a twenty-three-year-old, you know, who is the best value? Who was somebody that you had at twelve? And even in your own mock that you were trying to make in the front office, like that you saw going by the end of the lottery, that suddenly is there at 22. I would take that player first, no matter the positional fit, even if it's a guard that made the exact same things as John Morant or something, even though it doesn't really exist because John Morant's a superstar. Mm-hmm. But I think you take the best player available in terms of just value, try and get a ton of value like, like they have with Brandon Clark in 2019. And after that, I mean, I think you could probably play some upside swings, maybe go with uh, someone like the 28th pick. This one screams a, a Grizzlies pick, but I look at John Montero out of o- OTE, the overtime elite. He's somebody who I think could be in the mix. And then at 22, somebody who I think uh, his range is hard to predict. He's going to either surprise people and go lottery a la Josh Primo, or he's going to fall to 22 and be the pick. And that is Blake Wesley from Notre Dame. He's their first ever one and done in school history and being a passer defender with a growing shot. I think Memphis could fall in love with someone like him. And kind of like you said, his character, everything I've heard about him, he's just a wonderful person, loves the game. It fits the bill. And now now I'll keep that in mind for sure. Yeah. And again, you know, that's somebody where like 
Bronham, Mike Terry, another young guy with, you know, scoring upside, good character, good work ethic that it's like, oh, well, wait, this guy is now up at like, he's getting drafted at like 10 or 10 or 11. Who knows? But yeah, those are very good picks. The Juan Montero one kind of like catches me off guard just because, you know, with the overtime elite, you just don't, there's not a lot of stuff out there on those guys. Um, But yeah, I mean, I kind of fall either way. You know, I, I do think getting guys, a, a, a youth in there. Obviously, I said I love McGowan's um, trading up. Would love a guy like Eason or uh, Sohan. Obviously, the the dream was Dyson Daniels, but that that dream's kind of dead as he's now getting top ten love. Probably probably gonna go more like top top seven or eight. It's just gonna be a pain when he goes to the Pelicans with that Laker pick. But, you know, I, I kind of fall either way, whether they want to go a guy like McGowan's or Wesley or they want to lean back with the backup point guard route and go with a guy like Kennedy Chandler or want to find an eventual Adams replacement and go with, you know, Walker Kessler or Christian Coloco. Um, I will say one of my favorite picks right now in the second round has been Max Christie kind of a lot of the same stuff as Zaire where it's like, okay, he had this struggling se- uh, freshman year, but you know, there's those tools, smooth jumper that there's something to his game that can be untapped and he can mature in the hustle for a year or so and potentially end up being that guy. Like I alluded to earlier in the show could kind of fill in as that combo guard off the bench. There's just a lot of cool stuff. And I- I'm very excited to see what transpires because I kind of just accepted that I'm not going to like be whatever if it's not a certain guy. It's just like, okay, cool. Got this guy. It's great. Let's see how he develops. Let's rock with another great draft class for the Grizzlies. Yeah. And, and you know, you kind of, uh, you kind of hinted at Max Christie. I'm personally not too high on him, but I think, I think they have a ton of opportunities. You look at no matter the avenue they go, whether it's, using all three picks in a weird way, one of them coming like a stash pick, something like that, whether it's consolidating all three into one, consolidating two into one, and then using the second round as an upside play. I think Memphis is in a really good spot, not only because they're playing with house money and John Morant still is on his rookie contract for another year, but also just because they're so good at drafting that if you give them a shot to use three picks, again, whether it's consolidating them or just using all three and separately, Memphis is going to hit like they're a team that I think if you surveyed most NBA fans and saying, who are you most comfortable with drafting? Uh, what like seeing a team draft and who would you buy into for that? Memphis Grizzlies are almost always number one on that. It's them in Oklahoma city. Mm-hmm. And to me, I think Memphis is just in great hands. There's so much upside for this draft in a, in a year that the draft doesn't have a ton of upside. Some of the teams do I think Memphis is one of those where they're in good hands, no matter what happens. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really nice to kind of, for one, be in a spot where you're very comfortable with who's drafting for you because uh, prior to that, you know, they had that run from probably 2000. I want to say from 2008 until uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. in 2018, the Grizzlies had, I don't think they had a single player that was drafted in the first round that was brought back for a second contract from his rookie deal. It was nuts. I think the only one that might have gotten one is Darrell Arthur, but I couldn't remember if his that trade with Denver was before or after um, 
before or after his rookie deal expired, but just a long run of bad luck draft wise. And now it's just kind of like you had that belief, no matter who they pick there, we have three years of draft data. Um, obviously the two way guys didn't really pan out as much this year. Obviously with COVID this year is really weird, but they've gotten, they've turned two two way guys into roster spots. And one of those guys being a regular season rotation player and John Conchar. So it's just nice to have that confidence, but also too, it just in this draft, there's not for the Grizzlies. There's not a lot of stock in what happens with upside swings. You know, there's some people where it's like, Oh, let me take this upside swing late in the lottery. This could be huge for us. And then it misses, and there's just a lot more op- opportunity cost with that rather than trading or rather than drafting as a 56-win team in the late, in the late first round. So it, it's just definitely a nice position to be in for sure. Yeah, could not relate uh, for what uh, a good drafting team does following the Mavs, uh, you know, in 2020 and everything and, and almost every year ever. So that's, that's definitely something that if you're a fan, you know, wanting to figure out who they're in a draft, just knowing that like the odds are barring them taking just terrible reaches. Like the Aldama pick was probably the worst pick I, I thought of the last couple of years. And even then it wasn't that bad of a pick. Like it's, it was just almost just standard. You expect them to pick hot, like someone more on the boards, but that kind of shows Memphis has their own mindset. They don't care what the consensus is. They'll do what they want. And if they're right, they're right, you know? Yeah. And I tell you what, man, it was tough because at that point, you know, you had Jared Butler falling, Io DeSomu, Herb Jones. You're like, they traded up. You're like, oh, shoot, they're about to do it again and draft this four-year college player that everybody's kind of just kind of ignored because he was 22 or 23 years old. And then picked a guy, you know, we with Grizzly Bear Blues last year, we probably covered – 30, 40 something players and had a 60, a top 60 big board. I didn't see Santi Altama on there at all. And I was like, who is this guy? And I, I bought in kind of quick, say, okay, it's going to take a bit. He has some stuff and may not pan out. Who knows who, but also at the same time, okay, they can afford it. It's not going to be in the, the world. It's going to be fine. But yeah, it's, it's definitely nice. But you know what? Hey, uh, real quick, I will ask you because you are mass draft and, Y'all, y'all are division rivals. Who do you want the Mavericks to draft in that first round pick? I go back and forth. Um, my, I think my main guy going forward, right, or at least right now, I love Jalen Williams from Arkansas. I think that Jalen Williams from Santa Clara won't be there otherwise. He would be my pick. But I love Jalen Williams from Arkansas. The Mavs don't really have a big that is skilled in a lot of ways. They're all finishers for whether it's Maxi Cleaver being spot up shooting, Dwight Powell being roll man, none of them can really do anything with uh, that's not just panic when they get the ball. And Jalen Williams checks that box and he's a great perimeter defender. They really don't have a perimeter defending big. Uh, Maxi's a little bit more limited in two point defending, I think. So that's my issue with him. But I'd, I'd love Jalen Williams. I, I think he just checks all the boxes now in long term. Absolutely. I'm actually wearing my. Um my Jalen Williams Arkansas shirt right now from that slam dunk that he had at the uh, end of the Auburn upset. Uh, my sister, my sister just graduated from there. So I, I rep the hogs here and there. Um, so yeah, you know, Rich, I really appreciate you coming on. Um, talk about the draft and really just helping us get kicked off here with our draft coverage to uh, really just have a, um, 
a speedy draft coverage uh, over the next three weeks. Is there anything else that you want to add or anything you want to plug in? Um, what you got? No, thank you for having me. I, I really appreciate it pretty much. Anything I do post uh, anything in depth will follow through the hub of at match draft on Twitter. Pretty much anything there you'll be able to, anything I do, you'll be able to find there. Absolutely. Like I, again, he does great stuff. And he will always give you some deep cut draft finds. A lot of guys where you kind of look up and you're like, oh, this guy's a rookie contributing. He went undrafted. Rich has probably covered that guy. Uh, he does community mock drafts with a lot of pe- a lot of smart people from uh, draft Twitter, from different team Twitters. He just does great stuff, and I really appreciate him always uh, coming on our podcast, especially with the name of Mavs Draft Division Rival. But you know. When you have a team that drafts well, you need to have the best minds covering to be able to talk with. So Rich is one of those guys. Make sure you follow him over at Mavs Draft. And you can follow me on Twitter at Paca underscore Flocka. Follow the blog on Twitter at SBN Grizzlies. And uh, make sure you check out the podcast network wherever you get your podcasts. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcast. And one last thing I will add, as in my pinned tweet, I'm hosting a live GBB live at the bluff on Monday, June 27th, starting at 6 PM. Um, it is a fundraiser event for the Allies allies, St. Jude fundraiser team. Allie is uh, my wonderful fiance. He's been battling. She's been battling uh, brain cancer for nine years now. And um, just wanted to try this out and see how it does and just do it for a good cause. Just a great way to bring the, the Grizz community together after a really fun season and, uh, do some cool stuff for a good cause. We're going to have uh, a raffle of different prizes with all the money going towards uh, that uh, Allie's fundraiser team. We're going to have live music from Traveler the Band. We're going to have Grizz Talk um, and St. Jude Talk with uh, my fiance, obviously, Allie. And I'll also be having Connor Dunning, Brandon Abraham, Sean Coleman, DeMichael Cole, Anthony Sane, and more local media. So do not miss out. I'll be posting more and more about it. Um, just leading up to that. I'm really excited for it. I hope you all turn out. It's going to be a good time. But you know what? It's, uh, it's GBB Next Gen. That's all, folks. <laughs>